Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome to Adventures in Security, episode 49 for April 29th, 2007. I'm your host, Tom Olzak. You can find the information covered in our episodes at adventuresinsecurity.com on the podcast page. If you're interested in commenting on what you hear or about topics you'd like me to talk about, please send email to podcasts at adventuresinsecurity.com. In this episode, our featured topic is computer forensics, specifically obtaining permission to search as well as securing and taking stock of the potential crime scene. The featured material is taken from my weekly contributions to TechRepublic.com, a source of valuable information for all technology professionals. Before we get started with our first segment or our news segment, just like to apologize for not having any uh, podcasts published for the last three or four weeks. I've been a little under the weather, and uh, I'm back now, so they should be coming out regularly on a weekly basis. Uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about uh, briefly is the fact that um, the place that I was uh, storing my podcast for distribution, um, we had a little trouble, so a lot of the podcasts have not been available. That was fixed this weekend, so you should be able to get to all the podcasts from episode one through episode 49, which will be this one, and this one will be up here shortly. So now, on with the news. In an April 26, 2007 Network World article, Tim Green reports that versions of the Cisco NAC, or Network Access Control, clean access platform prior to version 4.1.1 are configured by default to allow a null response when an endpoint device is queried by its operating system. This vulnerability was exploited by a student at the University of Portland. The student was able to completely bypass an endpoint health check before gaining access to the network. According to the article, the default setting was provided so handheld devices that can't be scanned by the health check agent could still gain access. I went to the Cisco website to check on availability of version 4.1.1 of the clean access system. It doesn't appear that it's yet ready for release. However, organizations that are using Cisco's NAC solution should change the default setting to disallow access by endpoint devices with null responses to an operating system query. Microsoft has been loudly touting the security improvements in Windows Vista as compared to Windows XP. However, there seems to be some dissension within the software giant's ranks. According to Mark Rasunovich, a technical fellow in Microsoft's Platform and Services Division, hackers will simply adapt their attacks to the Vista environment. This comment was included in an a Inquirer article entitled, Microsoft Admits Vista Security Won't Change Much, by Nick Farrell on 24 April. Rosinovich predicts that even UAC will be vulnerable. If Vista doesn't provide any additional security, then why would an organization go through the painful process of upgrading? In my opinion, only sound security practices can protect any endpoint device. One of the most important of these practices is implementing accounts using the principle of least privilege. With Vista, Microsoft has moved in the right direction by addressing the need to allow users to log in as local administrators in order to perform minor system administration tasks. Restricting local administrator access to only a restricted group of support or engineering personnel is the best defense against unwanted software installations. But this is often easier said than done. 
Many vendors have not yet jumped on the Vista bandwagon. Organizations might still find themselves forced to allow admin or local admin access for business users so certain applications function properly. So how can we continue moving in the direction Microsoft is headed? First, we need to provide only minimal access to endpoint devices. Situations in which elevated privileges are required to execute applications should be treated as exceptions. Second, organizations must must pressure vendors to write applications that perform tasks without elevated privileges. Some of you have told me that this is a futile effort, but I disagree. When requests for proposal consistently contain requirements for least privilege operation, and when customers start making purchasing decisions based in large part on security features, responsible vendors will listen. Finally, educate users. Whether in XP or Vista environments, business users must understand the need to carefully consider any request to install an application on their endpoint devices. Of course, taking this decision-making process away from the end users is the best solution. Used properly, UAC can get us there, but we have some distance to travel before we arrive at a place where technology protects users from themselves. Well, that's it for the news for this week. We're now going to move into the feature segment, which is uh, computer forensics. Over the next several weeks, um, I'm going to be talking about different aspects of computer forensics. And this week, we're going to look at securing permission to search, securing the scene, and taking stock of what the scene looks like and its contents before ever starting to collect evidence. Computer forensics is a scientific approach to collecting, processing, preserving, and presenting electronic evidence. Failure to follow standard practices can make some or all evidence collected inadmissible in court. In this series of podcasts, I'll look at how to properly collect, process, and preserve evidence from both electronic and traditional sources. The discussion will be restricted to search and seizure practices in an office environment. The first step in processing a scene is administrative. Permission must be obtained from the owner of the site to be investigated or through the use of a search warrant. In order to obtain permission, the investigator must document probable cause that a crime or security incident has occurred and that either the fruits of the crime or evidence related to the crime or incident exists in the place to be searched. Further, a clear definition of the area to be searched and the evidence to to be obtained must be provided. In medium to large corporate environments, the Human Resources Department is typically involved in all investigations conducted by an internal security team. An investigator can usually rely on HR to obtain the proper permissions from management. In smaller business entities, it's usually more efficient to go directly to the CEO for permission. No matter who grants access to the scene, be sure to secure permission in writing. Scene processing conducted directly by law enforcement or requested by law enforcement requires a search warrant properly executed by a judge. This applies to non-law enforcement forensics investigators collecting evidence in response to a request from a government or law enforcement agency. Exceptions to the warrant requirement occur when it's possible, possible to obtain the owner's permission to conduct a search. In business environments, this can be an appropriate member of executive management, a company's general counsel, etc. Warrants are usually required when the search is to be conducted of a workspace belonging to a public employee regardless of the presence of employer permission to search. 
there are exceptions to the requirement to obtain prior approval. These exceptions are known as exigent circumstances. From the perspective of evidence preservation, exigent circumstances exist when the person conducting the investigation believes that waiting for proper authorization will result in the destruction of critical evidence. In such cases, the evidence may be obtained without management approval or a warrant. However, processing evidence obtained in this way should wait until permission is actually granted. The rules pertaining to search and seizure may vary from one legal jurisdiction to another, so be sure you understand the rules governing your actions. Once permission to search is obtained, the next step is to initiate a log that tracks who enters the scene, the date and time they entered and exited, and the purpose of their visit. This kind of control helps to prove scene integrity in court. Someone should be assigned direct responsibility for controlling scene access. When an investigator is busy processing the scene, it's usually difficult for him or her to maintain control over interested parties who believe they actually have a reason to visit. Before the scene is searched or any evidence collected, the investigator should take a series of photographs of the subject's workspace. The number and types of photographs taken often depend on the type of crime being investigated. However, here are some guidelines. Photograph walls, floor, including under desks and tables, and the ceiling if appropriate. The photographs must be tracked in some way in order to place them in the correct order later. Take a series of pictures of the desk surface, including the location of the PC and devices connected to it. Again, photo tracking is critical for later reconstruction. Take close-up shots of items of interest with notations about where they can be found in the general shots. Take a photograph of what is on the computer display at the time the scene is first entered. All photographs should be marked with date and time, preferably by the camera. The process followed when photographing the scene should be carefully documented in the case notes. After the scene is photographed sufficiently to allow later reconstruction, the process of collecting evidence begins. We'll walk through the process of physical evidence collection in the next installment of this computer forensic series. Well, that's it for this week. I hope I was able to help you make your network just a little bit safer. And until next time, be careful what you click.